Hi there, and thanks for downloading the 4 Million Years Later podcast, the show where two friends get together and usually watch an episode of the Transformers Generation 1 cartoon series in story order and then convene to talk about what they saw. Not your typical watch-along because we're not showing up to say, like, what's a Transformer? Or, I wonder if it holds up. It always held up. We loved it as children, we love it as adults, and we just watch an episode and compare our perspectives from childhood to adulthood. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... Hoover! Hello, Hoover. What episode are we watching this week? We are not watching any episodes this week. (gasps) This week, we're just going to kind of kick back and talk about all the Season 2 Autobots that we've met so far, at least the ones on Earth. Mm, Our Earth Autobot friends, because yeah, Mm -hmm. as we've observed in Season 2, got a little cosmic. The periphery of the Transformers universe has grown. And this is something we've done a couple times now in the series. Like, it, 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 there's these waypoints where it feels like, okay, a seismic shift is about to happen in the series. Before <laughs> we en- encounter it, let's look at everybody that we've met so far, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, and we're doing that for the Season 2 Autobots, at least the Earthbound ones, this week. And next week, we will be doing the Autobots in space and the new Decepticons. <laughs> You know, we're not talking about the season one people. We've already done those. You can go back and see those episodes. Those uh-huh. were 16.1 and 16.2. Don't you just love our numbering conventions? <laughs> so this week, we're just talking about the new Autobots that we met on Earth this season. So I just want to underline the way you said, like, and the Decepticons. This next episode, I think, is going to hurt a little bit. Not this one that we're listening to now, but next week's, because mm-hmm. it's like, let's talk about all the Decepticons we met. And then the Three Stooges theme plays. Oh, yeah, yeah, but that'll be next time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but like, let's talk about the people I like. I like the Autobots. So you wrote the list. You control the order. So take it away, Hoover. Who are we talking about first? So we're going to start out with the mini cars and begin with our pal beachcomber let's see if i can learn your language Hmm, how do i say it's a beautiful day beachcomber played by alan oppenheimer whose voice can just get me to commit all sorts of terrible things right Because when that man says something earnestly, it's like, I believe it. <laughs> Be like, if, if you use the man-at-arms voice as like, drugs are good, I'm like, I guess they are! <laughs> but Beachcomber, he does a different performance, right? He's kind of like a weirdo, kind of hippie character, isn't he? He's laid back, man. He doesn't like fighting. <laughs> now, did you have Beachcomber growing up? Yes, I did. I enjoyed that toy. He was fun. I thought he looked pretty neat. You know, very simple toy, of course, being a mini-bot, but I liked him. How about you? Actually, he is one that I didn't have. Mm. This is, we're entering, when we get into Season 2 characters, we're entering a time where I started getting fewer Transformers. Um, And, I mean, it's partially because I had a gigantic family, and so that's a lot of children to buy for. So, and and it was also, I became, I was getting older, and as like the, I was one of the older kids in the family... I felt it was like a responsibility to not ask for too much because all the other kids. So I was always trying to be Chip Chase over even then, even though even when I thought I didn't like Chip Chase, I was trying to be Chip Chase. 
And so I did. I didn't have many of these characters. So and Beachcomber was one where I think we talked about this in the Golden Lagoon. It's like I didn't think about him that much when I was a kid. Mm. I, he was fine, but he didn't really like drive me full of excitement the way some of the other characters did. And I think him being a dune buggy, I was just like, eh, it's okay. I mean, it's another car. He looks all right, mm. but I just wasn't into like like beach stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, he just, it, and the fact that he was like a geologist, I'm like, I don't even know what a geologist is. So, it's, <laughs> so, so I mean, I do now. But now, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I love him so much, right? After we did the Golden Lagoon episode, and, you know, a, a dear friend of mine happened to get me a Masterpiece Beach cover for oh, the holidays. Sounds he, like a he, nice guy. He's a pretty nice guy. And I have him set up on a shelf next to my, uh, actually, it's my wife's Smokey Bear figurine. And he has all the animals all around him. And uh, it just fills me with joy every time I see it. But yeah, the the peaceful, like he, he says multiple times, like I like to solve problems without conflict, you know? I don't know why that didn't connect with me like it did later on with characters in G.I. Joe, like Lifeline and First Aid. But mm. for some reason that he didn't. He just didn't seem terribly appealing to me. So I didn't ask for him and I didn't like seek him out. Well, with Lifeline, you know, not to go down a G.I. Joe road, but Lifeline, it was super obvious. I mean, Sunbow keeps character traits obvious, of course. But yeah. with Lifeline, his first line in the cartoon is <laughs> he's being asked to, like, hand someone a missile or something. And he says, no. <laughs> so his first word is no. And yeah. he's not participating in arming a rescue chopper. So, right. So... Lifeline was a little bit louder in his not liking yeah. violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Beachcomber only mentions it a couple times, and he, like, nobody else says. Like, I guess you have that line with Warpath where he says he's a thinker, not a fighter. Mm -hmm. But also, like, from an adult standpoint, I just, I adore his visual design. Like, you think about Autobots, typically, typically, not all, but they have some kind of warrior helmet on and then mm -hmm. a gray metallic face. Most of them do. And I, actually, I, I, I made a note of that. Like, we get a couple characters this season who have different colored faces than what we typically see. And Beachcomber doesn't have the warrior helmet. He has almost like this, like, sort of, like, 1960s... He looks like a character that Joe Friday would be yelling at in Dragnet in, like, the, like in, in, in some kind of, like, hookah club, you know? He's got, like, that, that weird sort of Prince Adam hairdo kind of going on. What's your name, son? You can see my name if you look hard enough. Come on now, what's your name? Don't you know my name? My name's Blue Boy. What do you think, Joe? Cardwheels? Oh, sugar cubes. I'll make you book. He's been dropping that acid we've been hearing about. And he almost has, like, sunglasses. Yeah, and he almost has sunglasses, too. And his face is blue. So it's, it's interesting when we get that kind of, like, sort of deviation from the design sort of syntax or grammar of, of the Transformers. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, love him now a lot, and I'm just button now that I've fallen in love with him. It's like, oh, but we only got him a few times in yeah. this series. <laughs> I think upon our rewatch, we we picked up on a little more of the subtleties of how cool he was, like when he was able to take out a seeker, mm -hmm. not not just any seeker, like a seeker covered in electrum. Yep, he was able to still take him out and basically rescue the other Autobots. So he doesn't like to fight. But it doesn't mean that he can't fight. Yeah, it's it's like a total Mr. Miyagi thing. Like we've talked yeah. about Karate Kid. And I love Mr. Miyagi because <laughs> he's so unassuming and he's so sweet and kind. 
but get those damn bottles off his car or there's going to be trouble. <laughs> and then even after he beats up Kreese, he takes Kreese down, right? Like the scariest dude in, the, in all the movies. And then what does he do? He honks his nose, right? So it's like <laughs> Beachcomber kind of has that to him too. Like this, this cute sweetness. Don't F with him. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he just wins all sorts of points for me uh, mm. when I do a close rewatching. So, yeah, I would agree. So we like that guy. Mm-hmm. So moving along, mm-hmm. what about our little tubby friend Cosmos? I guess anything is better than nothing. Did you have Cosmos? I did. Okay. What do you think of Cosmos? Well, he's voiced by Michael McConaughey, and we don't see him too often. He's kind of sprinkled in season two, but it's interesting when he comes up because it sort of expands the universe automatically because he's an outer space character for the most part. Right. So he's he's sort of taking us into new frontiers, so to speak. So that's kind of interesting. But as far as his portrayal goes, you know, he's basically just a cute guy out in space doing not silly things, but kind of humorous things. He, he's he got a sense of humor to him. Yeah, like, didn't wasn't there an episode recently where we were watching and he's like just floating around in space with Blaster playing music? Yeah. Oh, or Blaster was broadcasting music to him and like he's like, all right. And he starts like mm-hmm. sort of dancing in space kind of thing. And you got that weird, that weird idea of introducing a performance where he's like channeling Peter Lorre, right? Yeah. Where it's like, where did that come from? Like, who who put that together? And like, as I stepped back and thought about each of these characters, I realized that here's an instance where we can point once again to the sort of non sequitur whimsy of the Transformers that, I mean, I we were really throwing confetti at in season one, you know, like like Reflector, how it's three people who all talk with the same voice turned to a camera. You know, and it's like, it serves no function. Well, he's a spy, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so that it's like, okay, well, we got this flying saucer dude. This chunky little guy. What, what's his personality? Be like, well, what if we do him like Peter Lorre? What? Why? <laughs> so it, it just feels like it comes out of nowhere, but it's very memorable. We all remember Cosmos's voice because of that. Well, it's interesting just because of the sort of the timing of all this. I mean... These are being voiced by guys who grew up in the 50s and 60s. And True. Some cases 70s, some cases 40s, I would say. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing to mind all these characters for the, for the most part we children aren't going to be aware of. So it's almost like they're bringing these references back to life. We don't know what they are, but we're hearing them in their voice portrayals and that sort of thing. So that yeah. kind of almost like generational skip is kind of interesting. No, it's it's totally right. Yeah, like and it's like just sort of like when you discover that oh that dude that that scary dude who played Grand Moff Tarkin was like actually a movie star before Star Wars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like he did a lot of stuff before that. So yeah, there's that. Like I I certainly didn't know who the heck Peter Lorre was when I was watching Transformers, but I know that Cosmo sounded oddly like Booberry, and I didn't understand what what the connection was there. Mm-hmm. Now I did have Cosmos. I, I turned 11 during season two, the toy line, and that was my one of my 11th birthday presents. 
and I have another story about an 11th birthday present with more of these mini bots. But I remember part of the way it was sold to me was, is my favorite color has always been green ever since mm. I was a little boy. Like uh, we have, my family has a picture of me on my first day of kindergarten. I'm wearing a green sweater with green pants and I have a green backpack and I'm holding the Greedo action figure as I'm ready to go <laughs> off to kindergarten. <laughs> like I, I was very on brand. <laughs> so part of the, like, it was like, well, we got this one for you because he's green. So of course you're going to like him. And you know what? Not many green Autobots. Think about it. Think about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I, and, and the same thing is, like, he, he's adorable. And he turns into an unusual vehicle mode. Like, he didn't scan that on Earth. And so that made the toy extra interesting. And, like, like you pointed out, he, like, the introduction of Cosmos opens up a whole new realm of possibilities for stories in the Transformers. Even though they didn't use him for, you know, Child's Play and the Gambler. So, Yeah, kind of weird. Well, again, I think that's someone we could say we both like pretty well. Mm-hmm. But what about Power Glide? <laughs> Ace of the air. Hey, you must be hot stuff, pal, or you wouldn't be sharing the sky with old Power Glide. Kind of a blowhard, if you ask me. He's <laughs> <laughs> voiced by Michael Chain. Mm-hmm. And did you have his toy? So this is the other birthday present thing. So, so this was... Okay, I love Power Glide, and I loved him the moment I, I first saw him in, what was it, Dinobot Island Part 1. And I think he, like Starscream, like as we explored in Season 1, kind of, rep- like his blowhardiness, tr- it, 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 I received that as self-confidence. Like, mm-hmm. self-confidence looked so loud when I was a child. Like, for anybody to stand up and say, like, I have an answer, I know what to do, just, like, seemed like such a magic trick. Because ever since I was a child, it was always a dithering, like, oh, is this the right thing, is that the right thing, I don't know, do you know? Uh, so to see somebody do anything confidently like looked amazing to me. And so Power Glide, because he's always so confident to the point of being obnoxious, I was like, that's that must be what it is. Like if only I felt like that all the time. So and he's a plane, you know? We Autobots, we had Skyfire, rest his soul, <laughs> but we didn't have any other planes up until this point. So that was exciting. And it was a plane that not only looked like the show, but I could afford him. You know, <laughs> he, he was he was a real possibility. It wouldn't be unreasonable for me to ask for a power glide figure. So 11th birthday, I get Cosmos from my parents. I go to school the next day and one of my friends, his name is Brian. I won't say his last name for privacy's sake, but he comes up to me. And he's like, hey, you know, I know your birthday was the other day and I know you really like power glide. So here and he, he hands me power glide on the card uh, at school. He wasn't at a birthday party. This kid mm-hmm. went out to the store, got power glide for me and brought it to school. And like the, all of that like fell on me in that moment. And I was just like so incredibly touched by this friend who was thinking about me outside <laughs> of school and like went out of his way and everything. And it, like, I actually like, I started to get like all teary and I put my arm around. I was like, Oh my gosh, Brian, why did you do this for me? You know? <laughs> and he, he was like, Hey, look, it's just, just a gift. It's, I, I just like you. So, <laughs> so, so like that, that, that also, that personal story is also wound up in power glide for me. <laughs> what about you? How do you feel about the character? I definitely like him. I liked him as a kid, too. I had the toy. And I can't say he was, like, one of my absolute favorites. But, again, it's like you said, he brought a new dynamic to the team. Mm-hmm. You know, like, suddenly we weren't seeing Skyfire anymore. And at the time, we didn't really know why. But here was this other plane. But he wasn't big. He couldn't take anybody anywhere, except for a couple of humans could get in. Yeah, But at that age, we like really loud-type characters, and he was definitely that. I thought he was a fun personality as a kid. 
Yeah, we had we had like arrogant characters in the form of Sunstreaker up to this mm-hmm. point, right? But like his was mostly vanity. It was like I'm yeah. beautiful. Don't mess with my beauty. Sideswipe was brash, but he wasn't like Sideswipe didn't walk around the arc strutting his stuff, you know, and he certainly didn't like narrate his escapades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was another very interesting trait of him yeah he would talk about what he was doing and talk about himself in the third person that of course made him seem like a cute character yeah and and then like you said like the fact that he's small too like so he's a plane he's not a jet and megatron says as much in an episode so he's underpowered but he he makes up for it with chutzpah now (laughs) when we talked about the girl of power glide you made a comparison to his like sort of dynamic with Astoria to like a Ralph Cramden sort of bang zoom honeymooners kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and when I was thinking about this character, I was thinking about some of like his expressions that he uses. Like he does the and away we go. And I was like, that's got to come from someplace that, that doesn't sound. It, it sounds too familiar to have been like sort of coined in this cartoon. So I did a mm-hmm. little looking and I was like, Oh, that's attributed to Jackie Gleason, who had a song called Away We Go. <laughs> and, and so it's, I guess it's been used in a lot of other media. And whenever people are doing it, they're sort of channeling Jackie Gleason. And the moment I thought of that, I was like, I wonder how much of Michael Chain's performance of Power Glide is meant to sort of channel, partially at least, a little bit of Jackie Gleason in it. Because that, again, like mm-hmm. you said, these are people who would have grown up with the Honeymooners. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else I have to say about Power Glide? Well, it's interesting that he has lights under his chest panel that are in the shape of a heart. (laughs) They are Transformers, Hoover. They can recombobulate their insides, too. So he just did that for us. That was his special message to us. He was being vulnerable, and you outed him. That is not cool, dude. (laughs) No, I think he's fun. And how about our next little guy, Sea Spray? Also a bit of a chunky monkey. And he is voiced by Alan Oppenheimer. Another Alan Oppenheimer character. Yeah, we get a lot of Alan Oppenheimer this season. Hey, look, the first star of the evening. What do you say we make a wish? Yeah, what do you think of Sea Spray? What's, what was, did, first of all, did you have him? And secondly, how did you feel about him as a kid and now? I did have him. And I liked him as a kid because of his unusual voice you know he has that merman type of kind of Mm -hmm. sound to him so that was interesting and again he's sort of opening up the world for the autobots a bit more because he's not just a car you know he is this hovercraft thing so Mm -hmm. now they can have lots of adventures on water yeah so that alone like made him sort of interesting but he didn't get a whole lot of play in the cartoon course he gets pretty much his own episode to himself but other than that he's just sort of like sprinkled around and as we stated before after sea change we don't see him again and except for one episode in season three so i like our little fan in that he ended up staying on that planet with his new Mm. girlfriend and just found happiness because for whatever reason at the very beginning of that episode he's got a lot of things to wish for he doesn't <laughs> seem content he's like i'm gonna wish for this i'm gonna wish for this while i'm out here I might as well wish for this you know bumblebee is like come on he's the guy at the donut shop's like i'll have another sprinkle and <laughs> one more sprinkle 
And one more sprinkle. <laughs> it's like, okay, come on. Just say you want 10 sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I had him too. And very similar to you, I feel like Sea Spray was exciting because of his unusual vehicle mode. Hovercrafts were cool, right? Mm. You had the whale and G.I. Joe. And I remember the first time I heard of Hovercraft, I was like, wait, 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 wait. You mean it floats? It floats <laughs> in the air? If right. it, it moves on a cushion of air, that's sci-fi. That doesn't exist. That's not real. And they're like, yeah, it's real. This is amazing. <laughs> also, the fact that, yeah, all all of the mini bots in the season like were just super, super cute. And after watching Sea Change and watching it closely and seeing that he is this wistful dreamer, you know, he's this he's this scruff, tough little naval commander, you know. <laughs> so like you would you'd almost expect him to have sort of like a, a boat captain kind of personality, like right. gruff and stir, like, like like either like a pirate kind of thing or a kind of like like old navy's what I am kind of thing, you know. But instead, he's got like this gruff voice, and he's certainly tough, but he's got this sweet, sweet center. And we were talking about this, about like, like how like th this channeled like teenage or rather tween Hoover when somebody blows a kiss to him and he's like, oh my God, she kissed me. It's so sweet. So yeah, and, and I do, I, I, I'm grateful that he doesn't come back after sea change because then we get to live with this, this lovely thought of him living out the next 30 years on that planet. <laughs> so yeah, like sea spray a lot too, man. It's just like, these are just nothing but winters coming down the line. Who do we got next? <laughs> well, how about Warpath also voiced by Alan Oppenheimer. Warpath is a character that I really liked as a kid for two reasons. One, I thought his transformation was super cool. And mm -hmm. I, it, it was not lost on me that this is a military vehicle. The right? mm. Decepticons have military vehicles. Autobots don't. They're just like cars. So, whoa, wait a second. The Autobots just change things up by getting a tank on their team, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really cool the way his head like folded into the tank turret. The tank turret became his chest. And as an 11-year-old... I loved the bang zoom onomatopoeia talk. Mm -hmm. Teenage Jersey, 20 something Jersey, thought <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> he made fun of it mercilessly. What a dumb thing to do. What a dumb, stupid kid thing to do. <laughs> Grown up Jersey finds it adorable again because now I just feels like like we I think we observed in the Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's court was he's a vuncular he's the single uncle shows up in a Hawaiian t-shirt you know that, <laughs> that, that mom and dad not so keen on him coming to visit but we gotta have somebody watch the kids he's Uncle Buck he's Uncle Buck but he turns into a tank <laughs> he, he's he's buoyant he's zesty so yeah like I I've had sort of a tumultuous relationship with Warpath as a character what about you? Just like you as a kid, you know, when, when your character is saying bang, zoom and stuff like that, that's sort of attention grabbing, I would say. So I liked him. I also had the toy. I thought he was a fun little looking guy. And it was interesting because he was a tank, but he was still a mini bot. So it was just one of those cases where they're like, well, scale, what's that? <laughs> Which we ran into a lot in the old line. Yeah, we did. But yeah, I enjoyed him. I I guess I just kind of thought he was funny just because of the way he talked. That was probably the depth of my appreciating <laughs> the character when I was about nine. 
But now I would say, you know, I like him well enough. I think I liked him more as a child than I do now, but I don't dislike him. There isn't anything to dislike there. Yeah. But he's just kind of so-so for me as, you know, in my quote-unquote adult years. I don't think we ever got a singular Warpath episode, right? Like, we got Decepticon Raider and King Arthur. And I think that's part of the problem, you know, quote-unquote problem. Mm-hmm. We don't really see a deep study of him, so we don't know. Like, for example, Sea Spray, you know, we get that episode where we really start to show how he thinks and what he longs for and that sort of thing. And Paraclide kind of got that same sort of spotlight, but Warpath, mm-hmm. not so much. Yeah, and Beachcomber and maybe, got it too. Maybe that's saying that Warpath just isn't deep enough to warrant his own show <laughs> who knows <laughs> he, he's a supporting character right he's right he's best supporting actor in a series about transforming robots so yeah i mean not every character has to be deep and has to have a long backstory that explains this this and this not everyone has to be that sometimes you just need a guy who makes funny sounds and blows stuff up <laughs> Okay, so that's Warpath. Well, that's all the Season 2 mini-bots. So now we will move along to the Autobot cars, starting with Grapple. One more connection hoist, and my solar tower model will be finished. Here comes the sun! I know why you put Grapple first, because of like the, the 180 I did on his character, right? <laughs> or, you know, alphabetical. But we can oh. go with that. <laughs> it is alphabetical. Oh my gosh, Hoover, you were so type A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Grapple never had the toy. And as we explored in the Master Builders, I had zero affinity for these chunky British-ish Autobots. <laughs> like, what? Why do they talk like that? Is that is that a British accent? I don't know. It some, sounds something. It doesn't sound like the way we talk. And also like the fact that they're out talking about art now again i knew i wanted to be a cartoonist when i was 11 years old this was the year like i had that flash of whatever just happened when i read crisis number three hmm. i gotta do that for the rest of my life but i didn't think about it in any kind of sophisticated way i was 11 all i thought was i'm gonna be friends with stan lee someday <laughs> <laughs> that's how i thought about it right so like when you're when you're watching that episode it's like and they're like oh i want to make great art like, yeah, I, I, I'm not feeling the drama here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get to the end of that one, and that's the episode where, yeah, I, I started crying at the end of the episode, and I wasn't ready for it, and I don't think Hoover was either. <laughs> but what do you think about Grapple and who played him? Well, he's voiced by Peter Renaday, and it's interesting in that that's the only character he plays. Hmm. Uh, a lot of these guys, they're playing numerous characters, like we just talked about Alan Oppenheimer. Yeah. But yeah, they specifically brought in him to do this one character, so I guess maybe they had him in mind for a reason, or it just happened to work out that way. But again, as a kid, you know, I thought, you know, a crane, well, that's interesting. I like how it sort of expands the ranks. Hmm. But I didn't have a whole lot of love for him or anything, and... You know, him having his sort of signature show where, you know, he gets to, he thinks, team up with the Constructicons and all that. It's much more interesting to me as an adult. 
mm-hmm. where he has this goal and he wants to do it so bad that he'll even team up with the enemy to do it because the enemy is shifty and they convince him that they're not the enemy. Yeah. You know, that kind of a story means more to me as an adult than it is as a kid. As a kid, I was just like, why Why do we have British Autobots all of a sudden? What <laughs> What does that mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, well, and also, like, he's best friends with Hoist, who we'll talk about shortly. But, like, the, you got these two British-ish guys who are best friends who just sit around a drafting table and talk about talk about making art. And it's just that that's too abstract for my brain. And, like, mm-hmm. y- you're right. The Master Builders is a story about, like, getting mixed up in the wrong crowd, right? Like, you're trying out, hanging out with different groups. Like, again, I think that the episode works better for us as adults. How it would have been typically expressed for kids our age at the time would be more about, like, grapple is intrigued by how cool the constructicons are right mm. and then like they they bring him up to the line of his values where it's like now nah, you gotta do this okay i'll do that just to be cool with you guys okay now you gotta like kick optimus prime in the face oh wait no <laughs> you know oh i found out where you know i belong with the autobots that kind of thing like that's something like as children we would have been like okay this is cbs after school special territory we know mm. this story so i feel like it's it, Believe it or not, I actually think Master Builders is kind of a sophisticated episode. Maybe too sophisticated for children. I don't know. But, but yes, now, oh my goodness, I treasure the masterpiece grapple that is on the shelf in my studio. And <laughs> I look at him whenever I'm feeling... Like he's, he's my totem for when I feel pain in my work. Because as, as fun as it is to make comics... It's not always the easiest thing, and it's not always the most rewarding thing in the entire world. And I look at him, I'm like, okay, well, we do this because it's important. Right, Grapple? Right, okay. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he reminds me also, we'll talk about this with Hoist, is like sometimes all you need is just to have that friend say, nah, it was, it was going to be awesome. Your idea was magnificent. And then, boom, you, you can get back in there and do it again. And that was another interesting thing about them, is that they were kind of a pair. Yes, Yes. In season two, we got a couple of those situations, whereas we had Autobot friends before, and we had Sideswipe and Sunstreaker who were brothers, but a lot of times we saw them separately. That's true. And usually if we see Grapple or Hoist, with some exceptions, a lot of times they're together. Yep. So, you know, introducing the sort of buddy, I almost want to say like buddy cop kind of situation... Yeah. Introducing that sort of opened things up a little bit. That's true. That's true. And and yeah, you see the buddiness being more amplified because like we got got tastes of it in season one, but we don't get mm-hmm. it the way we get it in this season where there's, there's like real pairings of characters. You cannot imagine Hoist without Grapple or Grapple without Hoist, right? And so speaking of him, want to move yeah. on to Hoist? Please. Energy without energy. We're done for. He was voiced by Michael Chain. Again, he sounded very British to me, to my <laughs> uncultured American ear. <laughs> yeah. So, what did, what did you think of Hoist when you were growing up? Did you have the toy? I did have both Grapple and Hoist. I had gotten them in a trade from a neighbor. I ended up getting a lot of my Transformers secondhand from my neighbor who would sort of i think i mean he definitely enjoyed them but i think he enjoyed having transformers that i didn't have more than he enjoyed them oh i do i do that kid (laughs) (laughs) so like he would enjoy the fact that he had transformers i didn't have 
but he wouldn't enjoy them that much. So eventually he would trade them to me. So it's like I would trade who knows what for these things. So I would get like a kind of beat up grapple and hoist maybe like a year after they came out or something like that. But that's that's how I had grapple and hoist. Like I didn't really care enough about them to try to get them in the stores when I was a kid. But same, yeah. If the opportunity came up to get them from a friend, you know, in, in a trade, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, it it bummed me out that the one green Autobot of the cars level, like fifteen dollar toys, like was like the repair guy, right? Mm-hmm. And like. Again, it's weird. I don't. I am having trouble like parsing this out in my eleven-year-old brain and like really figuring out what was the disconnect here. Because later on, I love the healers. Like not one year later, I'm all about the healer characters. But at this point, I'm like, nope. Cool Autobots are the ones who do cool action stuff like Power Glide, like Sea <laughs> Spray, right? So I just thought, like, okay, why would I want a guy who's just like a tow truck? You know, hmm. even though you know he he did have the green thing going on. Yeah, I think there's something about the performance too that like I just didn't get his point of view. Right. And I think I think as an adult, I think I get it a little bit better, but I still feel like it could have been amped up more. Like like remember that in the Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court, one of our chief sort of critiques was that the difference between Hoist's point of view and Warpath's point of view really wasn't drawn into relief. And it would have made that episode more bouncy and fun if those two mm-hmm. had some more to disagree about. You know? Yeah. But as it is, he just feels kind of like Autobot mom. He's just there to like help everybody. And I don't mean mom in like a pejorative sense about motherhood. I mean like in the sense of like, you know, a stereotypical sort of like this this character that you just go to for help and you really you don't think about him until Mother's Day and then you make him something terrible. <laughs> I think maybe one of the problems, if you could call it that, is that Sunbow characters were typically turned up to eleven mm-hmm. and Hoist doesn't feel like he was turned up to eleven. Yeah. You know, like Sea Spray, Warpath, Power Glide. Yeah, they do. But yeah. Hoist is just kind of, oh, do you need some repairs? You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, Maybe he even it. got his own episode, yeah. which we just covered last week, and we can't really say it told us anything more about him. <laughs> you know, it's turned up to 11 on, on Hoist, his mildness. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no one's milder than Hoist. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the more I think about that, the more I find that appealing. <laughs> yeah, the, the sort of lack of a character trait becomes this character trait, kind of. Oh, but but I do very much love their the friendship between Hoist and Grapple. In this sense of like, they're both they both appreciate art together. We've never mm-hmm. had that before. We've right. never had that in Transformers, so that feels fresh, especially to me as a grown up who thinks about art literally every day. <laughs> so Hoist is good, but mostly paired with Grapple. That's how I would say Hoist. Like, yeah, own, I mean, again, it's like there are people who are not meant to be the major star in yeah. Hollywood, and they're just sort of a good second banana or you know, a wingman, so to speak. You know, there's right. people who specialize in that, so... Blue Beetle and Not everyone Gold. can be the star, which is ironic because in the film, <laughs> he was going to be the star in Hoist Goes Hollywood. So, <laughs> kind of ironic. Maybe that's why he was chosen. Yeah. Who knows? Could be. But moving on from good second fiddle Hoist, we have Inferno, 
voiced mm. by Walker Edmiston. Red, you're okay. I was worried about you. Yeah. Now, I never had the Inferno toy. Me neither. I was never really into, like, fire trucks, I don't think. I, You know, there's all those typical kid phases. There was like, oh, he's really into fire trucks. He's really into dinosaurs. He's really yeah. into space stuff. You know, there's those sort of archetypal periods in a child's life. And I don't remember ever really caring much about fire trucks. <laughs> so I was literally just thinking about this the other day. And I'm, and I'm so glad you brought this up because I don't know why I was thinking about it. But I was thinking about how... When I was a little kid, they did the thing, and they probably did this at your school too, where like the fire department comes to your school to like show you how what it's like to be a fireman, and they mm. pull up the truck, you get to sit in the truck for a second, and then they put on the respirator, <laughs> like oh, it sounds like Darth Vader, you know, all that. And I remember getting in the truck when it was my turn. I'm like, this is really cool, and like, oh, you want to be a fireman? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's it's neat and everything, but I have zero interest in anything to do with going into the burning houses. You know, like like when Barbecue came out in the GI Joe series, I'm like, he looks cool. What's his job? He's a fireman. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, same same. I I love the character of Inferno. Like I, when I was a kid, I was always about like what you and I have playfully called the zesty Southerner Sunbow character, right? Mm -hmm. The character who who's got like a they got kind of a temper and they got a little bit of a Southern drawl, but they're really really good hearted. They're, they're big hearted. Like their fists were hard. Their their heart was big. They're men. That kind of thing. So I loved watching him on the show, but like I never asked for the toy. I was not interested in having a fire truck transformer. So, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of weird how that passed us up. Yeah. And again, I didn't think all that much of him on the show. You know, it's, it's as we said before, it's kind of like I what I like to call Chekhov's Inferno. If, if you see Inferno <laughs> in the episode, something's going to be on fire pretty soon. <laughs> well, where there's smoke, there's me. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, again, I also like Southerner characters, but I don't think he stacked up as well as someone like Ironhide did. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if there was a competition between... Inferno and Ironhide. Well, I would, I would definitely side with Ironhide. I like him much more as a character. Yeah, me too. But again, it's not like I, I didn't dislike anyone on the show, not any of the main characters. So I never disliked Inferno. I just didn't think that much of him. Yeah, yeah. Well, Inferno really does a lot of supporting character stuff in the series because even in the episode where he really gets showcased, the real main character is Red Alert. Yeah. So if you want to move on to him, mm -hmm. Red Alert is voiced by Michael Chain. With friends like these, real friends, it's easy to be brave. And strangely enough, I never had him, even though he was a Lamborghini and I loved Lamborghinis. I think I just couldn't wrap my brain around the fact that a Lamborghini would be a fire car. Yeah, that's where we get to that impersonation of us as children when we see the TV and we go, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, ah, uh, that's not right. You can't do that. And I knew he was basically just like the Sideswipe toy. So I was just like, eh. If you had just given me a Transformer, I would never turn it down. <laughs> but as far as going out of my way to get him, it never happened. And I never, ever got one until I got the masterpiece years later be just because I appreciated the fact that we basically had an Autobot with 
mental issues. <laughs> yeah. With like, yeah, real like, like clinical anxiety mm -hmm. or the, the, the Cybertronian version of that. I never had the toy. And I, I was aware as well, just just like you, and I think like most kids our age at the time, that like, okay, this is just like a, a retooling of Sideswipe. Yeah. And like, I knew that Hoist was a retooling of Trailbreaker. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, it didn't take much imagination to see that Grapple and Inferno were the same mold, right? <laughs> we, were, we were used to that. And I do remember feeling like a, like a sort of a pang of like, well, this, this could be my last chance to get Sideswipe, even though it's Red Alert. You know, like at this point, I couldn't see Sideswipe anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have like a lot of strong feelings about certain kind of cars except for yellow BW Beetles. But I do remember the episode auto berserk being a, an important one to me as a child, because yeah, like you pointed out seeing this is something like we in season one, we get like changing gears. Like what's, what's, what's his problem? He's grumpy. Well, I guess <laughs> I feel grumpy sometimes when I get up too early, but I, I'm not relating to like like a like a complete grumpy disposition all the time kind of thing as much. I mean, I, I get it. Like I, I can grok it as a child, and I remember watching the episode, but it didn't like feel like it was talking to me. I didn't see myself in the in the episode that way, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like Auto Berserk was one of those moments where I really felt like I was beginning to see myself. Like here is a character who is really afraid all the time. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I go to school where everybody's saying, like, being strong and big is the most important aspect of being a boy. And I'm like, I don't feel very strong and big. As a matter of fact, I feel like all the strong and big guys are kind of looking at me like I'm a target. <laughs> <laughs> it's a plot. So, so yeah, I, I, I really did connect with him as a character. But this is another one of those things where it was like, did I connect with him enough that I'm willing to cut into my potential one $15 transformer I'm going to get this Christmas. <laughs> I'm holding off for Swoop, you know? <laughs> I, I really got my heart set on Swoop, man. And, you know, it's like super red alert. I'll take Swoop. He's a pterodactyl. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I have a, a lot of affinity for the character. And I do actually have the reissue that came out around the 25th anniversary of the Transformers series. So they released them in the original packaging. So I have, I did get Red Alert and Inferno so I could have them be buddies in my collection, but <laughs> don't have the masterpiece and I probably never will. Cause I don't, I don't love him that much, but I do of season two, he was definitely like he and power glide were up there. So I guess Michael chain like was doing something <laughs> <laughs> that was making me really like pay attention to the screen. So yeah, I never really cared all that much for him as a kid, but boy, once I got the DVDs and was a quote-unquote grown-up, mm -hmm. and I just saw so much of my anxious self in him, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> it was, was kind of like being shown a mirror, and I wasn't didn't really like being shown that, but... <laughs> But it was what it was, and I came to appreciate the character through that and bought the Masterpiece because of it. The Masterpiece has this great little thing that you can place on his head that makes it look like his quote-unquote ears are getting staticky and like... And sparking. Sparking. So that, <laughs> of course, he's displayed like that, of course. Of course. That's, that's, that's my whole tie to the character, the fact that he's anxious... And he's around all these people who are perfectly calm and collected most of the time. Well, yeah. Who's his best friend? His best friend is this really buoyant, cheery fellow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that kind of 
personality really appealed to me more as an adult than as a kid. As a kid, he was just like the Autobot who was kind of, kind of nuts, you know, <laughs> with just sort of blanket statement it like that back then. Yeah, I remember doing that too. I remember like I when Grimlock first appeared, I was like, yeah, they made this new Transformer. He turns into a dinosaur. And he's really dumb. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> it's actually more to him than that. But you know, I'm I'm taking away what I take away. I also like, and I probably said this in Auto Berserk, is that his skill, his talent is also his shortcoming. Like, this is where we're getting into, like, really Marvel-esque writing. And I think this also was around the time where I was beginning to get introduced to Marvel comics, because something we probably have covered in the series is that when I was a little kid, the first comics I read were actually Silver Age DC comics. So we're talking about Superman's friend Jimmy Olsen, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, those kind of, like, silly Mr. Mixius Pidlick stories, right? And so I wasn't aware of this whole idea of, like, the, the feet of clay. You know, I, I knew about Marvel characters. Of course I did. I watched TV, but I didn't get Marvel mm-hmm. comics as a child because they had no comic stores out in the middle of, you know, rural Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't get to go to the grocery store with my mom where they had the spinner racks as much. So around this time, I started getting introduced to, like, Spider-Man. And it's like, oh, he has these wonderful powers, but also now he's got all these problems because of these powers are a responsibility. So, like, I was becoming aware of this idea of the, of the double-edged sword, the whole monkey mm. paw thing, be careful what you wish for kind of thing. And here we have this character who his chief skill is he could hear and see everything. <laughs> he's got tons of sensors, and he, <laughs> he's aware of everything happening all around him. And you know what that means? That means he's always, like, on edge. You drop yeah. a needle, he's going to be like, what? What? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's pretty cool, right? So and it feels very Marvel-y, and I think that that's another thing that made him memorable to me, although I probably wouldn't have been able to articulate it in that way when I was 11. Yeah. So can we talk about a character that we have tons and tons and tons of memories about? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking for the next hour we're going to be talking about him. Okay. So let's move along to Skids. <laughs> Deep breath before we dive into this one, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Insecticide? We'll stop at the 10-yard line. Poor Skids. Now, Skids, poor, poor Skids, had two lines in this series. <laughs> two lines not even voiced by the same voice actor. That's how little of thought was put into this poor guy. Yeah. One line was voiced by Michael Chain. Another line was voiced by Dan Gilvison. So, I never had the toy. I was buying the Transformer comic, and he sort of had an issue where he got the spotlight. Yeah, so I remember there was the there was at least that. But <laughs> I, think, I didn't is really that the think one, much about him. Is that the cover that you sent me? Where you like the girl in the cover is wearing a cowboy hat, and you said like, "This is how we all dress in Texas." <laughs> yeah, I want to say that's like issue. 18 or 20, one of those. But it's like Skids against Megatron. Yeah, and I remember like, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's right. I open up my like Transformers catalog that comes with the toys, showing you all the other figures that you need to buy. And I'd be like, oh yeah, there is a character named Skids there. He turns into a van or something. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> How come I've never heard of him? Yeah, it yeah. probably didn't help that we didn't have his car mode here in America. Yeah. So we just like, weren't even that sure what kind of car he was. He was kind of vaguely minivan shaped, but he wasn't a minivan. So that probably didn't help anything. And being in the animated series for about seven seconds certainly did not help anything. Now, 
there was a commercial that introduced all the new season two Autobot cars. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. New Autobots join Optimus Prime. Smokescreen, Trance, Hoist, Inferno, Red Alert, and Grapple. And joining the evil Decepticons, Thrust, and Dirge. And it's like Optimus gets new forces to help fight Megatron, and he lists them off. He says, Smokescreens, Tracks, Hoist, Inferno, Red Alert, and Grapple. And then and Megatron has Thrust and Dirge. It's like, well, where's, where's Ramjet? Oh, okay. But, like, the so skids, skids didn't out. even get featured in... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm just thinking. I, I don't think Skids made it into that commercial, either. What happened? Wow. <laughs> This needs to be a, a toy galaxy out of these video. Like, what happened to Skids? Well, one thing I've heard that I haven't really verified, but I think he was actually the first season two Autobot car to be added to the case, the case assortment. Okay. So I heard that he actually shipped prior to any of the other 1985 Autobot cars. Oh. At least I've heard that because in the original case lineup, they had two Mirages because supposedly originally Grapple or Hauler was going to be in the first wave. Okay. And so they pulled him and they were like, well, the case is, you know, X amount of toys. What do we do? Well, just throw in another Mirage. Who knows? So apparently, and, you know, I can't confirm any of this, apparently Mirage was the only character in the initial case that got two figures, whereas everyone else had one. Mm. So before the end of the first wave, apparently they replaced that second Mirage with Skids. So Skids was apparently released before the rest of them. Again, I don't remember seeing that as a kid, and it was probably only, you know, I say before, it was probably only like, maybe a month before the other ones or something like that. But again, like skids just seems to have keep missing his shot. You know, like if you know anyone who (laughs) thinks they're bad luck, they'll be happy to explain like all the times in life, you know, they, they were just five seconds too late or, you know, (laughs) like day late and dollar short, that sort of thing. Just seems like that's skids, you know, it's not his character. Right, right. You know, I can't even really tell you about his character. Right. What could we have possibly gleaned from those two episodes he's in? <laughs> I mean, oh. it's just kind of a weird story. But he's kind of getting his comeuppance a bit because Takara announced there is a masterpiece skids on the way. Wow. And, and that makes me happy for all the people who are like, Really, really, like they they feel like they've been let down by the way Skids has been treated. <laughs> I know there's at least like a handful of people out there who are like, "Oh my gosh, at last!" And I'm I'm that I'm that person about certain things. I have things where I like like this really really obscure weird part of it. So I I'm very happy for them. I will not purchase it. Right. And I'm not telling anybody that they shouldn't. But I I just got zero feelings for Skids other than like a, kind of a, a fuzzy sense of pity. Yeah. I think he looks he looks kind of neat. You know, I like how the doors open on his back in robot mode and everything. Yeah. 
you know, I, I look at him, I don't think there's anything wrong with the, the look of the toy or the figure or the character, but I just, you know, there's nothing to glom onto. No, no. And, and, <laughs> and, and I, I need to go back and reread that Transformers comic that he appears in. Cause I wonder if there is something interesting that, that is that Bob Budiansky explores with him. Could be. Mm. Well, Moving on from our hour-long tribute to Skids, <laughs> that's a fast let's hour. Go over, let's go over to Smokescreen, mm. voiced by Jack Angel. Just call me the Autobot. Who is there? Now he was another case of basically being a repaint, a retool of a previously existing figure, and in this case, two previously existing figures. So we had Prow and Blue Streak. And then Smokescreen comes along. And to me, it was almost like, okay, you're kind of going back to that same well a little too often here. <laughs> because it was one thing for, like, three jets to be all the same mold. You know, they're kind of like a fleet, a force. But three of that specific car is kind of a bit much to me as a kid. I'm pretty sure I had him, but again, it was like another trade from my neighbor. So I never really thought all that much of him to begin with, but seeing him on this rewatch, it's been interesting to sort of see what Jack Angel does with the voice because in his first appearance, he's really very whispery. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like that's a part of his character. But then by the time we get to the gambler, <laughs> he's not whispery anymore. You know? It yeah. just seems like Jack Angel like had to sort of feel his way through his characters before he landed on something. Yeah. A little bit more so than a lot of the other voice actors did. So I didn't really have a whole lot of thoughts about him. Yeah, he was one where I didn't really feel strongly about him as a character when I was a kid. But I do remember wanting the toy, actually for the very reason that you didn't want the toy. Because I remember mm -hmm. thinking... Because I didn't have Prowl and I didn't have Blue Streak, and I wanted them. Mm. I thought Prowl was like one of the coolest Autobots. Like a lot of kids did. He's police car. He's got the cool transformation mode. The waist turns and everything. The head is hidden on like Wind Charger. <laughs> so I, I felt like this was a chance to sort of get a Prowl. Like when he came out, I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I, as, as I go back to revisit these memories, I just realized how much of it was me like trying to avoid loss. <laughs> <laughs> always this sense of it's gonna go away <laughs> if i don't record it on my vhs tape it's gonna go away and i'll never see it again and i felt like that about these toys where i knew that the, the new season's coming out new figures are coming out they're gonna get rid of the old ones i'm not gonna find prowl anymore but i can at least get this guy who's kind of like prowl i i remember that was there because i just thought the <laughs> transformation of prowl and blue streak was so darn cool and jazz for that matter i thought like any anytime you like turn the waist around and like the face is hidden that was like magic to me <laughs> It is. I watch it now. I, I I feel like you're right. Smokescreen makes probably the biggest change in performance from his first appearance to one of his last. Mm. All of the characters in this series, well, with the exception of Megatron, I feel Frank Walker's Megatron is pretty darn rock solid throughout. It doesn't really change a whole lot. Starscream, Chris Lotta's performance changes a lot in the series. Optimus certainly changes. He's he's getting progressively more quiet and thoughtful yeah. as we get into season two. Whereas, like, in season one, he was a little bit more young and kind of rustic and, like, at least you can still talk, old buddy, you know? Yeah, and willing so, to yell. There's, yeah. not, there's not, like, any prime yelling in season two. <laughs> Give me your backpack, Sideswipe. Uh, uh. 
<laughs> My backpack? No! <laughs> we just needed to see like Bumblebee's feet sticking up in the air in the background after that. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Jack Angel, like when we first hear him, like you hear that, oh, I wasn't there kind of thing, which is kind of intriguing. We haven't heard anything like that. It, well, mm -hmm. that's a little beachcomber-ish, but... Feels like it could be going someplace else. But then we get to the gambler. It's like, I'm just an unprincipled Autobot. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and I love Jack Angel's voice. I really, really deeply mm -hmm. love like all, all of his characters. Like Even going like the Darkwing Duck where he played the Liquid Eater. He was fantastic. <laughs> but I feel like his smokescreen doesn't really do that much in terms of like performance. It just feels like he's like a gruff guy who's like a little, little bit shifty. So... Yeah, and he kind of has a special power, kind of more similar to the 84 Autobots than the 85. You mm. know, it, it's built into his name. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, his his whole deal is he could just, like, fill the area with smoke. Now, actually, philosophically, I think that's really cool to have heroes whose chief powers are defense, right? Trailbreaker mm -hmm. has a force shield. He doesn't ever use that in an offensive capability. It's always a defensive thing. So I like the idea of a smokescreen being something that you use, use to confuse the enemy and, you know, disorient them, but not to actually hurt them until he, like, makes their electric fuse blow or whatever it was. was it? My circuit electro blew just out. He did do that. <laughs> but I I don't know. I don't I don't have super strong feelings about smokescreen. I like him fine. I like mm -hmm. smokescreen in Transformers Prime a lot better. <laughs> but but that's a different conversation for another time. So so then we move on to the last of the 85 Autobot cars. We have Trax, Trax. <laughs> Why do we have to say it like that? <laughs> <laughs> I find this city exhilarating, Prime. We can remain here forever as far as I'm concerned. Pardon the cliche, but I love New York. He was voiced by Michael McConaughey, who also did Cosmos. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a fun little story about how I got the Trax toy. Okay. Now, my neighbor and his mom were going to a store called Best, and I wanted to like play with the neighbor, but he and his mom were going shopping. So I said, can I come along with you? And I went and asked my mom, and my mom said yes, and I was like, at this point, I really wanted Sunstreaker because I could never find Sunstreaker anywhere anymore. So I said, can I have some money in case they have Sunstreaker there? Because Best was a store that I guess I didn't go to very often. So I wanted to see what their Transformers lineup was like. Mm. And she was like, I'll give you the money, but only spend it if they have Sunstreaker. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> Cut to me coming home with tracks. Uh huh. Because they did not have Sunstreaker, but somehow I did the mental gymnastics required in my head to think this was okay, even though yeah. mom said only Sunstreaker. So I came home with tracks. I think I remember getting a stern talking to for that one, but that's how I got my tracks. And I remembered liking him on the show. I thought a blue Corvette was neat looking. You know, it wasn't a Lamborghini in my mind, but it was pretty cool. And I liked the fact that he had the wings and everything. I didn't understand mm -hmm. it, but I liked it. You know, it was, as a kid, it was toyetic. It was interesting. Totally. Didn't make any sense, but it was fun. And that's yeah. all that mattered. 
And as an adult, I'm just like, why does he have wings and can fly and all that? <laughs> it's, it's very, I wouldn't say troubling, but it comes up every time I think of tracks. This is Hoover stepping closer and closer to the edge of becoming the character in the Applejacks commercial. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I, I liked the toy. It was fun. He had, like, cool missile launchers on his head and everything. It was a, probably my favorite 1985 Autobot toy. Well, there's one guy we'll talk about next who might have, I might have liked more than Trax. But he wow. was definitely one of my favorite Autobot cars. I don't remember having any special feelings toward Corvettes per se, but I mean, I did watch Knight Rider when I was a kid. So I thought the idea of like the sports car with the long hood was mm -hmm. there was something essentially cool about that. Although I didn't have a Trapper Keeper with a Corvette on it. You know? <laughs> How did I feel about tracks? I remember instantly connecting to the fact that once again, we have a character who thinks he is pretty great. And in mm -hmm. my head, that's like, that's what confidence looks like. He talks about himself all the time. Well, that's not exactly confidence, young Jersey. <laughs> so uh, there was that. I, I do, I remember liking the stories with him and Raul okay as a child. Once again, teen Jersey, early 20s Jersey thought that that was dumb. <laughs> and like you, I think the idea that he could have wings that pop out, and he wasn't a triple changer, but I didn't even question it. It was just like, cool, he can fly too, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think about, like, as an adult, what I love about it is it's mimicking how children play. Like, you, you know the story of, like, the G.I. Joe shark, right? That, that submarine yeah. that they made. And they watched kids play with it, and they were always making it fly. It's like, I guess it flies now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that idea of, like, like, meeting the kids where they are. Like, this car, this Transformer that we've imported, it has wings that show up on its shoulders, but you can make it have wings in car mode? Well, dude, make it have the wings in car mode in the show. <laughs> Kids will love it, and we did. Also, it, one of the things I noticed was he had a red face with that white helmet. And once again, we get like this sort of deviation from the sort of visual grammar of the series where Autobots either have a faceplate like Optimus Prime or, or a regular like people mouth, but their faces are gray and angular, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the blue eyes that are like roughly the shape of a rupee from Zelda. <laughs> But you get a couple characters with different colored faces, and I'm like, that's interesting. I wonder what that says about where he's from on Cybertron or something. I don't know. Like, how, how is it that he has a different colored face? Or is it something where he said, like, I want my face to be red? Is that like, is that like being garish? Is he like the David Bowie of the Autobots, right? <laughs> I didn't say that in my head, but like, it did get my imagination going. Like, why are they different colors? So... And, and, and again, as a being with no canonical form, they have multiple forms. It's like, wow, they could, they could even choose different paint jobs. So now I look at Ironhide, I'm like, what's your problem? Why are you so uncreative? You know, <laughs> I'm gray and red. <laughs> That's my favorite sport team colors. Okay. So I didn't have tracks, didn't have any great desire to have tracks, but this is one of those things that changed as I got older is like, as we revisit these episodes and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love Raul. Oh my gosh. I love tracks and Raul together. And I love this contentious sort of like loving relationship, but they all, but they express their love through arguing and giving each other a hard time. And <laughs> once again, I have the masterpiece tracks in my collection and not because I grew up loving tracks, but because I grew to love tracks, <laughs> love them a lot now. And, 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 and let me say, I think it's interesting that you got tracks when you were trying to get, Sunstreaker. 
because mm-hmm. I feel like tracks is sort of like the more sophisticated expression of what Sunstreaker promised. Yeah. It's not tied into the character at all either. It's just because I wanted Sunstreaker because he was a Lamborghini I didn't have. <laughs> and tracks I just also happened to like his car mode and everything and thought, well, I have the money right here. <laughs> Oh, I love those memories. I love those memories where we're given like $5 and like, don't spend it <laughs> foolishly. I'm like, this right. is $5. You know, I, I have the power of Zeus in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and I came home with runabout or Runamuck. And my parents were like, what did you do? You weren't supposed to spend that. I'm like, but it was there. <laughs> you gave me $5 and put me in a, in a KB. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah so these days i think Trax is an interesting character i didn't really care about friendships with earth creatures back when i was a kid and i found for the most part earthlings just got in the way of my liking transformers rather than added to it but now i appreciate the friendship that Trax and raul have so you yeah. know i like him more now than i did as a kid as a kid i was just like oh he's a corvette you know, mm-hmm. I liked him because he was a Corvette as a kid, but now I like him because he's just sort of an interesting, sort of vain character who manages to find a friend in an Earthling. Mm-hmm. And we have our own headcanon on what happened with Trax and Raul after the last time we see them together. Yep, I think Raul's working for a spark plug over in New York and getting rid of that above-the-law lifestyle and becoming a more heroic character. And Trax, as demonstrated in previous episodes, you know, he doesn't just want to stand around the Ark with all those boring Autobots. You know, he'd rather be in New York City. Where things are exciting, but not too Mm -hmm. exciting. Because if he sees something out of place, it's very upsetting to him. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all the Autobot cars for 1985. But then Mm -hmm. we had a couple really interesting non-vehicular additions to the line and let's start with blaster he was voiced by buster jones (laughs) i've been waiting a long time for this you poor excuse for sound system great voice yeah now as a kid i loved soundwave i thought soundwave was amazing so for there to be like another Autobot version of Soundwave that looked even more like a tape deck. I was all about that. Yeah. So as a kid, that was one of the 1985 Autobots that I wanted the most. And I did get him either for birthday or Christmas, I think it was. But interesting thing about my blaster toy is, you know, at first, in the first year, there were no blaster cassettes. Right. But it being a tape deck and sort of what we called at the time a ghetto blaster, I thought, well, certainly the tape deck opens up and he had these little buttons underneath his tape deck. But on mine, I just could not get the cassette door to come open. Really? Yeah. And years later, when I was really, really trying, I finally got it to open. But there was just something about the way mine was put together that it took really excessive force just to pry that thing open. Because mm. I, I would be pushing the button and I was like, huh, I thought this would come open. But I was like, well, he doesn't have any tapes, so I guess it doesn't need to. So I guess it's just sort of like 
you're supposed to pretend it comes open, you know, like every other toy in the 80s, you, you can pretend. So, <laughs> and I didn't know anyone else with blasters, so I, you know, didn't have that opinion challenged or anything. So mm, for see. probably about a year, my blaster toy was just like, had a tape deck that didn't open. And then they made cassettes and I was like, well, they made cassettes. <laughs> Certainly, this is supposed to open unless they're going to make us buy a whole new blaster. And then I just sort of like was basically wrestling with it, like trying to get it to open. And I finally did. So it was like there was just something wrong with the mechanism in my particular copy of Blaster. It just made me assume that the cassette door wasn't supposed to come open. Hmm. So, but I really liked him. He was, he's a very, very tall Autobot. So it felt like you got a lot for the money. Because he was a lot bigger than the other toys. That's Again, true. You know, scale meant nothing back in the day to yeah. these things. But yeah, I mean, I really liked playing tapes and listening to music as a kid, as most kids did. So I just thought he was really cool. Yeah, I was going to say that's exactly what made him appealing to me. The vernacular where I was growing up was boombox. Everybody called them boomboxes. Mm. A tape deck with two big speakers on either end, right? On both ends, actually, preferably. Because they had the ones that only had one speaker. And it's like, oh, I got like the... <laughs> I got like the mom tried boombox instead of like mom loves me boombox. <laughs> you know? I remember the year that I got a boombox. And it was like, I think it was 86. I was 12. It was turning... <laughs> I, yeah, I just turned 12. And it was a dual tape deck. Which was like, that was like, I might as well have a spaceship. <laughs> this is such exciting technology. <laughs> I could record the radio. I could copy my brother's cassettes. <laughs> so the, the idea of a transformer could turn into a, a boombox was very exciting. And like the fact that he had a handle and everything, super cool. But I remember being like really puzzled when he first came out. So like, but he doesn't have any tapes. There's no tapes. Like, sound, how come Soundwave gets tapes and Blaster doesn't get tapes? That's not fair. So I didn't feel like a lot of desire to get him. I think also I was a little bummed out that he looked so, his face looked so different than the cartoon face. Mm. That was one of those things that I'd get really, really kind of hung up on. Like the, the, the Ironhide toy. I was like, I got to get Ironhide. And then a friend shows me Ironhide. I'm like, no, I don't want Ironhide. <laughs> well, that was kind of a special case. You know, no one looked less like the animated version than Ironhide and Ratchet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But like you look at Prowl, it's like you you could get there. You could you could yeah. make the leap, you know. So I don't know. I I thought he was cool. I liked him in the show. I didn't. He again. I think my affinity for these characters it was inevitably colored at least partially by the fact that I had to be so judicious in what I asked for at that time. Mm -hmm. So I had to sort of like talk myself out of getting too excited about some of these characters. I'm like, look, <laughs> you only get one. You get one. Pick one. Put all your love there. <laughs> so blaster was kind of like i felt the thrill of like cool he's a boombox and then yeah but no, i'm not gonna get him <laughs> the character that is we've charted him in this season he starts out with that first episode where he's like a troublemaker he's like the character who just mm -hmm. like act his chief power is he could be obnoxious <laughs> <laughs> and that's what helps him defeat the decepticons and then we get the turnaround on it by the time we get to autobop He's more of a mature kind of Autobot. And we talked about it in that episode. Like, that was just something where I think we also thought Blaster was cool because there was that assumed rivalry with Soundwave. There must be. Of mm -hmm. course there is. They're both the same thing, but one's evil, one's good. They're naturally going to hate each other. We got that one sort of magnificent fight, 
And then it's like, okay, I'll <laughs> wait until Carnage and C minor, and then they'll kind of do a little bit, but it's not going to be awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I like him. He's fun. Yeah, same here. He had a much expanded role in the comic. Mm. But again, it's like, I, I bought the comic for a long time, and I never really loved the comic. Yeah. It, was, it was just neat for me to see, I guess, all these drawings of Transformers. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the comic to me was okay. It was whatever. But the show for me was, was my personal Transformers. So. And it was the same for me until the 90s, like when I discovered by accident the Simon Furman run. And mm. it was somewhere around, I want to say, like issue 75, like the one where Unicron arrives on Cybertron drawn by jeff senior and i was like what what's this and then i opened it up and I'm like oh my gosh this is like it's getting back and like heavy into the mythology but yes the early comics i remember I, re I read up to like nine or ten in that neighborhood and then like blaster became like a main character i'm like like i don't even i'm not super excited about this. and grimlock's wearing this weird crown you know <laughs> yeah it, it was not very similar to the animated show yeah I did go back and get them all, though, everybody. For those comics fans who are like, what? Why? How could you be such a snob, Jersey? I have actually two complete runs of the Marvel series. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I have two, but I have two, and I've read them, and they're lovely now. I just, I, I was very much about the cartoon as a child. Yeah, same here. Well, moving on to our other unique release that year, Perceptor. Yeah. And if you need a true scientist to explain Beachcomber to you, don't hesitate to call on me, Perceptor. Well, he was voiced by Paul Eiding, and he is the Autobot scientist. I mean, we, we've had Wheeljack. You know, he was kind of what passed for a scientist mm. back in the 84 run, but Perceptor is basically your stereotypical scientist. Mm-hmm. I never had that toy. I want to say I had him on one of those friend loans where you trade Transformers mm. for a weekend kind of thing. So I did, I got my hands on him early. And I, <laughs> my memory is that I was very excited by the fact that he was a working microscope. What? Yeah. It's a, it's a toy that transforms into a robot. Yeah, it's a working microscope. I can't wait. So <laughs> did you, did you have like real microscopes at your elementary school when you were growing up? I can't remember if it was in elementary school or if it was later. I want to say no, at least at this point, yeah. because I remember like thinking how I could maybe use that as leverage to get the toy, even <laughs> though I didn't really care that much about the character. It was still mm. a Transformer. Yeah. And I was still in a very much gotta catch them all mindset. That's funny. Because uh, I could point at the little promo book and say look it's a real microscope and it can yeah. blow up uh 1.4 times or some really small number that well, i thought was bigger yes that's exactly <laughs> right that you, you anticipated where my story is going because i had a handful of really truly great teachers in my childhood and one of them was my fifth grade teacher so this would have been around this time right i'm 11 years old and he actually brought a microscope into the classroom and we like looked at i forget what we looked at we looked at drops of water and i remember like looking at like little microscopic creatures for the first time in my life. Like, that's in water? Gross! Oh, well, it's okay. <laughs> These things are in your body. What? Gross! So I had a taste of what that was like to be able to like, look at things like really, really tiny. And so I hear Perceptor is a working microscope. I trade with a friend. I'm like, I can't wait to get home today. <laughs> you know, and I go home I'm like, oh, it just makes it look a little bit bigger. 
my gosh, how many how many things in our childhood did that to us, right? <laughs> you take it home, you're like, I'm gonna check out my own DNA. It's like I'm gonna <laughs> count the cords wrapping around each other. Right. It's like it's like, oh, I can kind of see my fingerprint now. No, and I think that's the way kids' brains work, right? It's like I remember the morning when my parents said as I was walking to school, because I lived out in the country and I walked to school for real. <laughs> Is they said, oh, in the morning when you're walking to school, you're going to see Venus in the sky. Now, remember, think about how an (laughs) 11-year-old perceives language. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to look up. It's going to be bigger than the moon, and it's going to be scary. (laughs) Venus is going to be up there. Why why did it wait until now to happen? And then I go outside, and I'm like, Mom, I don't don't see anything. She's like, no, it's that little prick of light right there. I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I feel like it's like that kind of thing. However... We talked about this in Microbots. I definitely felt seen by the fact that here's this character who does not prize physical prowess. He prizes using his mind. Now, I was not a nerd where I, I guess I did. I, my, I did good in my grades, but I was never like lumped in with like, oh, these are the, you know, he's a smart kid. I was just like, I was, I was weak and I like nerdy things, you know? <laughs> So I felt a little bit seen by that, but I also remember really digging how Perceptor's robot form looked because it felt like his vehicle mode was utterly concealed, right? Or his alt mode, I should say, was utterly concealed by his robot mode. Now he had that, the, the, the microscope thing on his shoulder, but that's a cannon. It's a cannon yeah. now, right? So it's like with all the Transformers, their alt mode is sort of telegraphed by their bodies necessarily, Right. So the fact that Perceptor didn't telegraph his his alt mode felt really kind of exciting and exotic to me as a kid. So I kind of <laughs> wanted him, but again, I didn't put my heart in it because I had I had to get swooped that year. <laughs> yeah, I mean the character was just kind of whatever to me. He was a scientist and he advanced the plot in that way, and mm-hmm. I didn't really care about him much at all. And you know, even as an adult, I can't say I even care that much for him. <laughs> I still dig him. I, I dig his function in the series, which is to be like, as, as we get further out of the series, someone who is so consumed in his work that he bores you with the minutia of his work. Right. And, and that's another mm. thing where I feel seen sometimes where like when I was growing up, I literally had a girlfriend on a date say, say to me, say to my face, stop talking about Spider-Man. she said this date is over (laughs) like that really happened right like like, so when I think about Perceptor like Optimus like Perceptor just do it jeez (laughs) stop talking I'm like actually Perceptor I'm coming coming over here and I'm giving you a hug because I know what that's like I know what it's like when you're excited about something you're talking about all the details of it and people shut you down because they don't see what you see because <laughs> you're, you're a microscope you can see the minutia <sighs> well i think that brings us to our largest autobot of 1985 and that would be omega supreme voiced yeah. by jack angel Death, vengeance mine. <laughs> now this <sighs> is a toy that i never had i didn't have it as a child and you know, you were we were friends when I finally got Omega Supreme, <laughs> and it was a, it was a it was a very good day for me because I went to so there was this really golden moment. I want to say it was like 1993, 1994, 
where we were just far enough out from the Transformers series that it was considered washed up, lame. They tried Generation 2. It didn't work. Who knows if it's even going to be around anymore. And the dudes who ran comic stores, comics and collectible stores, were just old enough that they were too old to like Transformers when it came out, right? So, like, I'm what? Like, 93, I'm like 21 years old, 22 years old, or something like that. No, it had to have been... It had to have been after 94. It was like 95, actually. So it was just before Beast Wars started, right? And so I go to this mm-hmm. comic store and collectible store, and they get these giant bins of some some poor soul's collection of Transformers, all in perfect <laughs> shape, just in these plastic bins. Totally like it was that, that old story of the, the parents coming in and being like, here, what do you give me for this? 50 bucks? Oh, you monsters. And, <laughs> and so I see the bins, and I'm like, can I look through those? And I'm, they're like, yeah, go ahead. We haven't cataloged them or anything yet. I'm like, if you if you see something you like, just just like name a price, you know. And I'm like, awesome. And I'm digging through, and I start finding the pieces of Omega Supreme here and there, <laughs> you know. And I start putting them on the floor. I'm like, I think this is everything. I think this is, a, this is all of Omega Supreme, and he's like in perfect shape. I'm like, how how much for this guy who's all like in pieces? And they're like, I don't know. There's a lot of plastic on that one. <laughs> and they're like. 25 bucks. What do you say? And I'm like, yes. And I just shelled it out and I ran out of there. And I remember talking to you on the phone about it, like, you're never going to leave Brian Scott for $25. <laughs> and like, I put bat. Did, did you put batteries in it? I put batteries in it. It works. He walks. So. Yeah, it was a, it was a rare transformer that actually used batteries. That's I mean, right. Shockwave before, yeah. but this was probably only the second one, right? I, I want to say yes. I want to yeah, say I that's right. So. so I loved Omega Supreme ever since I was a kid, but it was one of those things where and I think anybody who ever like coveted the USS flag or the Eternia <laughs> playset, you know what I'm talking about, right? You ha- you see it. You're like, oh, well, if only. But alas, it will never be. You know, I wanted him. I knew I would never have him. So like when I was, whatever, 21 years old, it was like it was like a a gift from my from my future self to my past self in that moment. <laughs> I love that he is emotionally damaged by yeah. a horrific betrayal in his past. Yeah, I love that. That means he is a stoic and aloof character. He doesn't hang out at the Autobot base. You know, you get you get Skyfire who is betrayed by a dear old friend, and instead of becoming you know, bitter or traumatized by it, he he takes on this kind of jolly aspect to his personality. Like he lives in the base, hangs with the Autobots, talks to them all the time until they get rid of him again. But Omega, yeah. like something deeper happened to him. And like in when we, we talk about in the origin or the secret of Omega Supreme, that when we come back from commercial break and he's like holding his knees, you know, he's in this he's in this protective, vulnerable position. And that's all the more rich because he is the strongest Autobot. He's the last line of defense. You're our only right. hope, Omega. Yeah. I don't know if I picked up on that as a kid, but I think I received it as a kid because there was something very mysterious and wonderful about this great big guy who has this deep vulnerability to him. And also there's that aspect of like, he's the older brother who, you know, doesn't really want to hang out with you. But if, <laughs> if trouble comes... Don't mess with my little brother. Like, I wanted that so badly when I was a kid. I wanted my older brother to, like, be the guy who stuck up for me on the playground kind of thing. (laughs) So I think there was that fantasy that I was living out through Omega Supreme. And then plus, like, another Transformer who has a not-Earth mode. that that, I never saw that rocket before in my life. 
you know, and he has two vehicle modes. He's a tank and a rocket. What? That's yeah. interesting and unique. <laughs> yeah, certainly an unusual mode. And thank goodness he got that origin episode because without that, you know, mm-hmm. it's like he would have just had these sparse little appearances here and there and he would have just been, oh, well, he's like the rocket that gets them from place to place. Yeah. But there was so much story packed into the secret of Omega Supreme, so much characterization. Yeah. I mean, he turned him from basically this utility type character, this means to an end, to this really likable character. Yeah. And really tragic character. Yeah, and I, I love how his backstory explains why we never see him hanging out at the Autobot base, right? Yeah. He, he stays alone because, like, it is hard for this guy to be friends with people. And that's another thing that just, like, really stabs at me when I think about him now as a grown-up. Is like, he, here you have this character who's staying away because, because of the trauma he experienced, it's really difficult for him to make friends. And mm-hmm. th- that's why that ending where he and Optimus are standing on the Golden Gate Bridge watching the sunset. And, like, Optimus says, like, well, maybe maybe you're on the path to healing. And he's this possibility growing that will tear happen. Like, <laughs> yeah, I want that for him. I want that so bad. Like, that's another headcanon I want. I want to know that Omega has a best friend someplace now, you know? Yeah. I mean, that episode did so much for him. And it, without that, you know, I don't think anyone would be, unless they just really love the toy, I don't think anyone would be like a huge Omega Supreme fan. But because of that episode, I think there's a lot of Omega Supreme fans Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what they did with him in Transformers Animated, I think, feels... Yeah, that was a cool little reveal. Yeah, and I feel like like the, the way they treated his character in there feels like almost enriched, and it feels like a... Not a callback, but it feels like it's a saying yes and to the original Omega Supreme, what they do in Transformers Animated. If you, if, by the way, mm-hmm. if, if, you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh... I, I, I never gave Transformers Animated a try. They looked weird. Right. But you, you here's like, what you have to understand. Yeah. We said that too. We said yes. that very thing. Yes, we did. I remember texting <laughs> texting or messaging Jersey somehow. I was like, oh, here's a show we won't have to care about. <laughs> yeah. I like. And guess what? We <laughs> cared about it. Oh, my goodness. And I'm going to say something dangerous. I think that Tom Kenny's Starscream is in many ways better than Chris Lotta's Starscream. I know, I know, sacrilege. And when I say that amongst Transformers fans, they always gasp a little bit. I'm like, oh, I know, I feel so transgressive. But I'm just saying that if you if you are listening to this podcast and you've been listening and you're like, oh man, these guys get Transformers the way I get them, and you haven't watched Animated, really go watch Animated. It's, uh-huh. it's really, really special. But it is a, a, a complete reinvention of the series and that might be difficult for you to get over. But I'll say this, Transformers Animated does with Optimus what... Generation 1 should have done with Rodimus. There, I said it. And there's also a lot of flesh creatures at the beginning of Animated, yes. but they sort of phase them out, sort of. Like, mm. the first... Not that we really need to go into this in deeply, <laughs> but if you don't like flesh creatures and you start to see a bunch of them in Animated, it's like, wait, yeah. hold on. <laughs> oh, Wait until the Decepticons sort of become the major villains or just skip ahead a few episodes something like that but animated is one of me and you's favorite transformers cartoons 
Yeah, and and part of it is is because of the slow burn to the Decepticons, because like when they do finally show up in all their power, it's like, oh dear, <laughs> 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 you really feel it. So anyway, but yeah, enough about TFA. Let's just stick to Generation One. So we did we walk around all of them? Did we cover everybody? Yep, that's all the season two Autobots that we've seen on Earth so far. And next time we'll be talking about the Autobots we've seen in space. Mm. And that would be the female Autobots, Alpha Trion, and DevCon. Can't forget old DevCon. A lot of characters we either never got toys for or only mm-hmm. got toys for very recently. So Yeah. And of course, we'll also be touching on the season two Decepticons and... It may shock you to learn that there's only five. Five new Decepticons. What a ripoff. Yeah. My goodness. Of course, we will get a few more after these next episodes of season two. There's 10 episodes of season two left. Okay. And the reason why we're doing this before those episodes is because we're about to get inundated with new characters again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we are. So this is the part where I'll say, first of all, thank you for this discussion, Hoover. It was fun to reconnect with each individual Autobot from this season and really think about like my relationship with them both as a child and as an adult. And I want to invite the listeners, if you have a special memory of a season two Autobot, please share it on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. 4 Million Years Later on Facebook. We record the show weekly. It drops Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. If you want to be... You know, the, the, the only hope, the last line of defense, that stoic giant, Omega Supreme, who protects everybody but always wants to be alone. Give us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. That helps more people find the show. It raises us in the search rankings and so on. If you want to be a boombox with a cassette door that don't, doesn't open, conceals <laughs> what's inside from everybody else, go write a review for us. Just write a few sentences about, like, this is what I like that Jersey brings to the show, this is what I like that Hoover brings to the show, and this is what I like about Transformers. Dust your hands, you're done. I know, it took a few minutes of your time. That's a non-renewable resource, and we're grateful for it. But it shouldn't take much of your time. So thanks to everybody who writes reviews for the show as well. And then, of course, there is the T Public page, right? Yep, we have only a handful of designs so far, but once I whip jersey into bringing out some more we'll have some interesting new things to purchase on a baby onesie or a sticker or a tapestry you can hang on your wall and just (laughs) stare at and dream about four million years later (laughs) yes hoover just needs to keep flicking my ear and i go ow quit it And we'll have more. You know, I got another idea for one. Is that I want to I want to do like a whole series of stickers of all the machines from Day of the Machines. <laughs> <laughs> Vetoed. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, Hooper. And thanks everybody for downloading and listening. We'll see you all next time. Until then, I have been Jersey Droz of Four Million Years Later dot com and Jersey Droz on Instagram. And I have been Hoover. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled nichoalas dash. M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook, 
under 4 million years later. And you can email us at 4 million years later at gmail.com. Visit 4 million years later.com. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs> <laughs>